Radio Drome. Episode 28 of Radio Drome, and we have a third of our uh, regular crew back. Brad? Hey, what's going on? Didn't have internet last week, so we sort of yeah. lost you. <laughs> uh, I was still in a coma after Transformers 3. Oh, your brain shut down to protect itself? Pretty much. Were you so angry that you won't even be able to talk about it if I ask you some questions? About, I, I don't know what more I mean I could say after after us talking about it in the car for a half an hour and then Spoonie and I talking about it for 90 minutes. I don't know what else I could say. It was a terrible movie. It was it was god-awful. Yet it's going mm-hmm. to make a ton of money, and Michael Bay is now the highest-paid director in the history of Hollywood. Have Somewhere... you heard about... What? What now? Heard about the fourth one? I thought this was the final one. Isn't that how it was well, sold? Well, what they're talking about with the fourth one is that since Shia LaBeouf and Michael Bay have said that the third is the last one that they're going to be a part of. So the studio still wants to do a fourth one since this movie is making retarded amounts of money. They're looking at trying to get Jason Statham. Oh, man. Well, speaking of that, I heard some bad... No, that, I, like, I like that. In this franchise, though? If it's a different writer and a different director, it might be good. I mean, it has a chance, at least, instead of the same people who have done the last three movies... At least with Jason Statham in it, there would be at least one human that I would care about in the damn thing. Unless they make him a Shia LaBeouf clone. <laughs> They're not even the same style of actor. Even if he... they He would never play that kind of part. He would never get cast as that kind of part. I know. I'm trying to get your goat here. <laughs> as 8-Bit Mickey would like. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I heard something about Jason Statham. He will not be the transporter in that transporter TV series on Cinemax. Yeah, I remember when that when it was uh, when it came out that they they wanted to do a, a TV series out of out of the transporter, and that they were looking at Jason Statham, of course, to play Frank in it as well. Like I always sort of like in my head, I was like, I, I don't think that's I, I I can't picture him doing a weekly TV series. And he's going to produce it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, actually being in it. So that that doesn't surprise me that he'd still want to just keep doing movies. If it's honestly, I mean, if it's not, I guess it depends on who they get for the part. But right now, I mean, without Statham in it, I don't necessarily have a an interest in seeing it. But if they got someone, say, like Dean Winters, I'd be all about it. <laughs> they cast somebody, but it was some name I didn't recognize. Jared might pop on later, right as we were about to record this. Skype decided to do an automatic update on on Jared's computer, so we lost Jared right before this, so hopefully Jared pops in in a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, and I went upstairs to be like, dude, something happened? And uh, his computer was, he was trying to X out of the updates, but it was running really slow. Maybe, possibly, because he also had his Warcraft screen up. Oh, God. <laughs> I need to ask you, not as the cinema snub, but as Brad Jones. Hey, there he goes. There he just popped on. But as Brad Jones, I want to know what you thought of Night Night Dreams since I turned oh, you I on like to that Night movie. I like Night Dreams. Let me add Jared here, and then we'll we'll uh, talk about that. All right, so we actually got foils on the show. Even Hello. after we lost you last week too, since you and Brad live in the same house, one internet connection goes down, both internet connections go down, huh? <laughs> um, sure. Okay. Uh, well, I was just asking Br- Brad, and I don't know if he let he let you watch this or not, but what he really thought of uh, Night Dreams. 
Oh, Night Dreams. I uh, I, I like Night Dreams. It was I I enjoyed it. I I thought it was a surreal, well made, decently acted movie. The snob liked it. <laughs> the snob liked it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. The snob liked it for 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 all the wrong reasons like that. But I liked it for not those BS reasons. But found it found it to be a rather enjoyable movie. I Jillian watched it with me. She wasn't too terribly into it. That's one of those movies that. <laughs> Like Cafe Flesh, the sex scenes are so unerotic. It's almost mm-hmm. mocking the people that it's almost mocking the raincoat crowd that would go to a movie like this to get off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jerry Stoll, man, he does some weird stuff. I liked Permanent Midnight. See, I didn't. The movie was just kind of all over the place to me. Well, of course, you didn't like it. It was made after '95. Oh, really? <laughs> you're, you're gonna go? You're gonna go there? You labeling me as a cinema snob? <laughs> You go in there, you bastard. <laughs> hey, I, what can I what can I say? There are recent movies that I like. <laughs> I loved Fight Club, and that was ninety nine. Oh uh, yeah, but that's different. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> well, really? Oh, I was just I just pulled that out of my ass. I wasn't serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. What What about you, Foils? Have you seen Permanent Midnight? I have not. Don't. Although, no, it's a good movie. Brad will disagree real, with me. It's a, it's a really, really good movie. Not really. It's one of Ben. It's one of Ben Stiller's best movies. Oh man, have you not seen Next to Kin? I have seen Next to Next to Kin. He's awesome in that. I know, right? Bill Paxton <laughs> in his little walk-on role as well. <laughs> Next to Kin is great. Ben Stiller's in a pretty serious part in that. I mean, he dies in a pretty gory way too. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if you really don't like Ben Stiller, you'll like that movie. Well, you don't actually see him get killed, but you see the crime scene, and it's pretty graphic what Daniel uh, Daniel Baldwin, uh, uh, Adam Baldwin did to him. <laughs> yeah. When you see that mattress with all the blood all over it, and they're like, he was tortured for hours. Yeah. Oh, good God. This is for Night at the Museum too, you bastard. Yeah, because I know in the future you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know in the future you're going to do Little Fockers. I hate I, I've hated all those Fokker movies. I I really don't understand how Robert De Niro still thinks he's a real actor doing those. They're the same jokes recycled. It's mm-hmm. like it's like the Hangover two to the Hangover. It's the exact same jokes in a new setting, and somebody goes, "Well, that makes it funny again, right?" No, well, it doesn't. Plenty of plenty of real actors do terrible movies, but consistently, it's what yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> name the name the last continuity wise good De Niro movie. Last continuity wise good De Niro movie. Um, well, you want me to name the last good De Niro movie I saw that I liked? Machete. But that wasn't really a De Niro movie. That was a movie he happened to be in. Like like he's, like he's still in it. Well, like fifteen minutes. De Niro's in it. It's not really a De Niro movie. What's the last? Okay, so what's the last thing he starred in that I liked that I saw? I liked. I remember liking City by the Sea. That one wasn't too bad. I, I wouldn't call that a good one, but that wasn't a bad one. Yeah, it was. It was okay. Um, William For- William Forsyth was great in that one, though. Yeah, yeah. What What did you think of Fifteen Minutes? Either of you? Did you? you oh, I liked Fifteen Minutes. Never I, saw Fifteen Minutes. Oh, I I loved that. That got savaged by the critics, but I loved Fifteen Minutes. That was. I did too. It was a great satire of late '90s, early 2000s media culture. And mm-hmm. a- Avery Brooks is badass in that, just like he is in everything. 
I, I, I love the hell out of that movie. Him and uh, Edward Burns and yeah, I, I, I dug it. I, I, I dug the flick. It had good villains. It had a surprise halfway through. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, okay, here's a spoiler alert. De Niro gets killed halfway through the movie. That was a surprise. I got to yeah. admit, I didn't see that coming at the beginning of the movie. When it got halfway through, I kind of did, because when it looked like they were going to kill him, I was thinking in my head, I was like, you know, I've already seen every De Niro scene in this movie that was in the trailers. He might actually get killed in this scene. And then he does, and you're kind of like, okay then? Yeah. <laughs> and Kelsey Grammer was pretty good as the villain, too, or one of the villains. Yeah, as the sleazebag uh, TV show host. Who was De Niro's quote-unquote friend and totally willing to exploit the living crap out of him. Let's talk a little bit about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, because we haven't done that franchise thing in a while, where we analyze yeah. all the movies. And I talked to you about this a little bit before, and I wanted to go back to that. Yeah. How would you rate the original four movies? Let's 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 leave the remakes off for now. We'll talk about those, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Leatherface, and Next Generation. I guess uh, one, two, four, and three. You honestly put three behind four? I actually really like four, and I couldn't stand three. Oh, man. I loved Texas Chainsaw 3, and I no, hated I, four. Four, I absolutely love. I thought four was a better remake than the actual remake. Um, but it wasn't meant to be a remake. It was meant to be a quote-unquote sequel that I happened to be a remake. I don't care what its intent was. I just thought it was a fine movie. Four, I had a lot of fun with four. I thought Matthew McConaughey rocked in that movie. And there's yes. Very, <laughs> there's, there's, it's, it's not often anymore where you get to see McConaughey actually having a good time in a movie. There's like that. There's like Reign of Fire and, you know, I don't know, maybe some other ones. He was having a, the time of his life in Chainsaw 4. Like he made every moment he was on screen in that thing. And it was every scene with him in that movie was a beautiful piece of just hammy, over-the-top villain acting. Like grabbing the shotgun and like putting it towards his mouth and that mechanical leg that he had. I He made that movie for me. He was entertaining as hell in that. I and I I really like four, and three I hated to pieces. See, I'll, I'll give you the McConaughey in four because yeah. I agree he stole every scene he was in. What I hated was Renee Zellweger. She just wasn't very good for one. Uh-huh. I don't like them turning Leatherface into a tranny. I yeah. don't like the fact that Leatherface. I mean, literally. The victim yelled at him to shut up, and he just sat down and looked all like a like a wounded puppy. And uh-huh. then, and then that whole bizarre Illuminati plot, and are they aliens? And they, it's like they got this weird X Files vibe. And then, you know, the whole movie made no sense. All right, let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to the beginning and start with 1973 Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. We've all, I think, we will all agree that is a classic in film, and probably the first. I don't like to categorize that as a slasher, but uh-huh. when you really get down to what a slasher film is, it sort of is a slasher movie. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would call that the beginning of the slasher genre in reality. We, everyone says Halloween is the first one. I gotta say Texas Chainsaw is the first real slasher movie. Yeah, I, I hear, I hear, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't consider the uh, I don't consider Halloween to be the first. No, no, not the first slasher movie at all. I've heard people say the same thing about Psycho. Yeah, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre led to a certain style of horror film at that at that time. It's one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen in my life. It's brutal, and it makes you feel dirty after having watched it, yet there's almost no on-screen you know, violence by the way we would consider violence today. There's hardly any gore. Yet the brutality of like when Leatherface is bashing the guy in the head with the hammer, it's just so brutal. So, I, I, okay, <sighs> what, what would you say then, what was your feelings on TCM2, not as a movie, but as a follow-up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Oh, as a follow-up? It's, it certainly took things in a different direction. You know, <laughs> with T- Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, the first time I saw it was shortly after I saw the first one, so I would have been in junior high. And I watched the second one and really didn't like it the first time I saw it. I was like, this really isn't disturbing at all. This is kind of a comedy. I hated uh, it when I first saw it, too, and now I love it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Now in seeing it again, I think it's one of those things like when you go into the second one, when you go into it uh, for the, the second time and you know what it is, you know the kind of movie that it, that it is, that, it, that it's not going to be like the first one. It's fun. It's a fun. It's a fun over-the-top movie. Uh, what What's interesting about the second one is, it seems to be the kind of movie that you think of when you hear a title like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When you hear a title like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're not knowing anything about any of the other movies of the first one. When you hear a title like that, you have an idea in your head of what it's going to be like. You have an idea of ver- of something very, very over-the-top, cartoonish even, and pretty gory. And that's certainly what the second one is. The first one is... The first one is disturbing and scary because you don't see all that much gore in it. You know, a, a lot of stuff... A I'd lot say, of stuff happens well, literally behind behind closed doors. Uh, the second one, the second one definitely goes goes more towards the extreme in that. Well, I was going to say for the first one, it also and whether this was intentional from Hooper or not, Kim Hinkle and Hooper don't seem to agree on what they were doing at the time. It almost has a documentary like feel. The first one, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kim Hink- Kim Hinkle says that was always intended. Toby Hooper says it wasn't, and then he says it was, and then he said it wasn't. So nobody can agree on whether that was an intentional thing or not. But that gives the movie a weird reality that the second one uh-huh. definitely does not have. Yeah, yeah. The second one is more of a movie. Let's put it that way. It yeah. And I love the lighting, the sets. I I love the direction. I love the use of music, and. I'll admit it, the comedy tends to work in that one when it really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But the comedy moments tend to work. And I'm just happy that Canon had the balls to say, you know what, we're not taking an R on this. We're not cutting the movie. We're just going unrated. Yeah. Because that, oh, yeah. ba- that was still pretty ballsy in, what was that, 85, 86? Yeah, 80, 86 sounds about right. You know, that was still pretty ballsy to release a, a relatively big movie like that unrated. So I give Canon props for that for doing that rather than cut the film. And I, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 quite a bit. Now here's the so thing. Do I. Here's the thing. Like Jared, have you seen one and two? 
I have, uh, but I was like 12 when I saw it, so I, I kind of need to um, revisit it because it's been for, been ages. I was going to ask you, what order did you see them? One and then two? Yeah, I did see one first. Okay, because I'd be curious, because the movies are so different, if we run into somebody who saw them in the opposite order, who saw two first and then one, if they would yeah. have the same opinions, because the movies are so different... They are. They are. The um, one one kind of seems more uh, like a you know shot gorilla style, where the second one is uh, bigger budget, more theatrical. Second one, I almost get the impression when you listen to the commentary on the DVD, you almost get the impression Hooper was making Hooper was making a parody of the first film. Mm, yeah, in, in a weird way. Yeah, I agree with that. Just look at the box cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the Breakfast Club. Well, yeah, n- not the terrible DVD cover, which looks like they were trying to get the Saw audience for the oh, DVD yeah. cover. But I'm t- yeah, the VHS cover, that's the Breakfast Club parody. Th- they clearly knew that they were making a comedy. I think it's one of those, like, you kind of run into that thing with remakes, too. Sometimes, I mean, it's, it's certainly not the case for everybody, but people usually will like better the one that they saw first, you know, and I think that I think that that could certainly be the case here with Chainsaw One and Chainsaw Two. Well, and there's then there's another thing. We're all relatively the same age. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw One, by having almost no actual blood and gore in it, was shown on TV endlessly when we were growing up. Chains- oh yeah, yeah. Chainsaw Two, HBO only. So yeah. we all probably saw the first film quite a bit more growing up. So that also might influence it a little bit, that 2 is a little more out there. And then we move on to 3. Like I said, I liked 3 quite a bit, or at least what 3 could have been slash should have been, or uh-huh. the fact that I've seen the work print, what it actually was before Miramax, or sorry, New Line scissored the hell out of the movie. Because you got to remember, this was supposed to be ambitious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the movie was submitted 26 times to the MPAA before they got an R rating. Yeah. That's just, that's insane. Yeah. And in that, because the MPAA won't tell you what you have to cut, uh-huh. they, they cut all this stuff, they cut tons of story and character scenes. For instance, like Viggo Mortensen, his character is bisexual. Not that you'd know it in the theatrical cut. I certainly didn't get that impression. <laughs> right. The, the only inkling you got is his one painted pinky fingernail. Otherwise, he's bisexual what? in the work print. Uh, is there Has there ever been a an uncut version of that released? Yes and no. The, the version, the last version that got an X was put out on DVD. Yeah. But it's still missing a ton of scenes that are in the work print. It's missing yeah. a ton of dialogue that, that's in the work print, so... Now, does does the work print exist? Yeah, I have a copy of it. Oh, okay. And the work print has the correct ending, because the ending, the, the ending that they went with, uh, I'm sure that's one reason you hated that movie was probably the ending, right? The I, let me uh, let me think back. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. That movie honestly lost me at, at the scene at the beginning when they had to kill that armadillo or whatever it was. Okay. Well, at I'm the, like. I'm like, this is completely and utterly pointless. I don't need to be seeing this right now. Um, so, honestly, I was in a foul stench of a mood for the rest of the movie after that. And, honestly, I just didn't give a rat's ass about what happened in that thing. Well, see, the, uh, the armadillo thing actually is part of the story. 
You know, she couldn't uh-huh. br- she couldn't bring herself to bash an armadillo with the rock, and then it Leatherface and then push her to the point where she's willing to just butcher them in retaliation. That it it was supposed to show how how much she broke with reality by what she went through. Yeah. So the armadillo I, scene is important to her character arc. I hate to say that, but it is. I don't. You know what? That's like saying that the animal cruelty necessary Holocaust. I, hmm. I agree. It you know, but I'm just saying there was supposedly a point to it. But, yeah, it just—it's one that I didn't give a damn about. It didn't need to be in there. The movie could have been fine without it. But, and uh, uh, the ending—what I remember about the ending was—they uh, get away, and Leatherface is standing there. Okay, K- Ken Faree's character—you clearly see his head get sawed in half by Leatherface. Yeah. Okay, when they're fighting, all of a sudden Ken Faree's character shows up with a couple of bloody marks on his head, and he saves her at the end. And then, okay. le- and then Leatherface is standing because test audiences found that his they liked his character. Yeah. So <laughs> we got to bring him back. But here's the big thing: director Jeff Burr didn't even know about that new ending. Oh, really? He it went. Was a, he went it was to a twist to him too. Yeah, he went to the premiere, and all of a sudden, another ending comes up. They hired his assistant director to shoot the last five minutes. So yeah. the director got sandbagged at the world premiere of the movie by seeing someone else's ending on his film. Because his ending made a lot more sense and had a lot more really nice implications. Because do you remember the little girl played by Jennifer Banco, the one that's implied to be Leatherface's daughter? Vaguely. It's, it, it's seriously been a long time since I've seen the third one. When they're in the house, there's this little girl, maybe 10, 12 years old, and yeah. it's, it's implied to be Leatherface's daughter. She calls him Daddy at one point. Okay. And... She ends up, you never see her get killed when the family's being massacred and whatnot as the house is going up in flames. In the original ending, Kate Hodge is wandering down the street and a police officer pulls up. And it's the same, yeah. it's the same cop that was hassling them at the beginning, telling them to yeah. move along and, you know, don't linger. And all of a sudden, Jennifer Banco's little girl character pops up and he gives her a kiss on her forehead, implying that the cop is a member yeah. of the family and that's how they've been able to get away with this for so long. That's a much better ending. Yeah. Yet that's the ending that test audiences didn't like. Uh-huh. Boo. So, yeah, boo. It's on the DVD, but it's not integrated back into the movie. And I, I just think that, oh, that, that angered me so much. Because that ending is, is that, so much better. Is that ending in the work print, then, I take it? Yeah, the work print has both endings, actually. But yeah, that, that ending's in the work print as well. You also get to see a much gorier death for Viggo Mortensen's character. He, uh, after- I liked him in it. After he gets set on fire, which is his death in the theatrical cut, in the work print he starts chasing Kate Hodge again and then gets one of their own traps um, stabbed through his chest. And, yeah. and you got to remember, he's all burned up at that point too and he's just oozing <laughs> blood from all her portals. And she just starts looking at him in this curious way, kind of like, oh, does it hurt? Yeah. You know, to again show how far she's fallen as a human being, you know, of how far they pushed her. So it was a much better film before New Line took the scissors to it, really. I'll have to see the work print sometime. I'll make you a copy of it. I actually just transferred it to DVD last week. Oh, right on. Yeah, that'd be cool. So it got an alternate soundtrack, too, which is weird. <laughs> nice. I, I know you're not a heavy metal fan, and the theatrical one had an all-heavy metal soundtrack. Did it? Yeah, I couldn't remember. Uh, the, the third one I saw... I mean, honestly, I saw the third one once, and it was... Uh, I don't know. I was pro- I'm sure I watched it after I watched the first two. 
Oh, and they the all first time. So we we are talking a lot of years. Well, do you remember when they had uh, the guy hanging upside down that they were basically dressing him out like he was a deer? Yeah. And they took the sledgehammer in the work yeah. in the in the work print. The little girl's the one that does that. New Line oh, had okay. huge problems with a twelve-year-old girl massacring this guy. Yeah. So they have Viggo Mortensen's character do it in the theatrical cut. They, they scissored the living hell out of that movie. We come to part four, the one Brad and I are getting into a fight over. The, I just the next generation. Yeah, there's Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Return. I can't. Which one did I rent it as? I think I rented it with Return. I, I rented it when I rented it really it first came at, out. I well, in fact, I think the first time I saw it, I don't think I did even rent it. I think it was just on HBO or Cinemax. So I remember renting um, it, and I actually took it back to the video store and complained about how bad it was, and they gave me another movie. Yeah, <laughs> that bad. To uh, me. <laughs> uh, I think the, I remember uh, doing something like that uh, with another movie. I I just can't remember what it was because it was really bad. They were a lot more lenient in the VHS era about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. When you first watched it on HBO, I th- th- I don't know if I've ever had a copy of it that's gone by the return. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre title. Uh, I don't know what title it went by on HBO or Cinemax, but the copy of it that that Brian's got, he just popped his copy of it because if, if I have it, I, I don't know where it is. But um, he uh, his is the like the VHS uh, Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation box that doesn't really say all that much about the movie. It's just one side is the transvestite picture and the other side is the chainsaw lipstick. lipstick. Yep. Um, well, have you seen the DVD cover? Oh, 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 yeah. That's it's McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Yeah, and it just looks yeah, like a, looks like cover. a Photoshop nightmare. Yeah, and for the like, longest time, Renee Zellweger and McConaughey both legally tried to block the release of the movie. Oh, that makes me sad. Well, because it was made while neither were famous, but because of all the post production problems and all the different edits, by the time they got ready to release the movie, they were both big stars. Yeah. So they didn't want this sullying their their stardom. So they basically wanted to buy out the movie and bury it so no one would ever see it. Oh, f- that. Yeah, so Zellweger and McConaughey, that's a sore spot. I've actually heard, if you ever like run into them, not to try and get them to sign like a VHS copy or something because they get pissed. Oh, that, <laughs> makes, me, that makes me sad because even though about 70% of his movies aren't very good, I do like McConaughey. <laughs> I'd, you know which one, if you really want to see him having fun with an early role? Larger Than Life with Bill Murray. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The one with the elephant? He plays an insane... Yeah, he's having... Yeah, he's an insane he's truck in driver that. in that one. Yeah. I like see. He's one of those actors. I like seeing it whenever he's having fun in something. Not the romantic comedies that he does. I love him in Reign of Fire. Oh, he's so brutally and I'm saying this in a positive way. He's so brutally over the top. He's almost in a different film than Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> and it's glorious. Yeah, like I said, I'm I, that's that's not an insult. That that's a compliment to McConaughey's performance. Yeah. <laughs> he was having oh, he was having the time of his life in that movie. Um just weird singing with no know, hair. Yeah. That it honestly, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it should. Maybe it shouldn't surprise me. But that that actually does sort of surprise me that he has that kind of reaction towards Texas Chainsaw. I mean, I'm not saying because I like the the movie, but I mean, he is clearly having some fun in the thing. 
well, because it was so early in his career, he was probably happy that, you know, I'm part of a, a franchise that's that big. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, yeah. what was the movie that made him famous? I know Zellweger was uh, Jerry Maguire. A Time to Kill. Was, was that the one that where he got famous? A Time to Kill, or, you know, people remembered him from Dazed and Confused. Because it just seemed like he was so happy to be part of this, like you just said. And then all of a sudden, when he got bigger movies, it was, I, I didn't do that horror movie. I didn't do that. That's kind of douchey. The the thing I find the most funny is that Renee Zellweger, she's not hot, but she's quite an attractive lady, and she's uh-huh. playing the ugly girl. She's constantly being called ugly in the movie. The dweeby girl, yeah. She's not ugly at all in that movie. No, no, uh-uh. So I don't understand why they would cast her to play the ugly girl. Because <laughs> she had glasses. Ugh. Oh, yeah, because anyone who wears glasses clearly ugly. Let's see, Brad Ugh. wears glasses, I wear glasses. And I'm ugly. Nerds! <laughs> hey, Ogre, Ogre, calm down, Ogre. <laughs> hey, he wore glasses at the end of part two also. That's true, he did. When, when he drank the... Pun- That's what disappointed me about part three, is that Ogre wasn't in it. Yeah, that, yeah. He didn't he come back for the fourth one? I haven't like I haven't seen Nerds in Love since it first aired, and that was, what, 94? Something like, yeah, because that de-airing. Um, yeah, because that was a Fox had, TV movie. Yeah, yeah, and you had to get the 3D glasses for it. I remember, like, when other people start showing up, Booger's Wedding, like, Ogre is there, and it's Donald Gibb, and he's got, like, pretty long hair in it, but he's still wearing glasses. Uh, Stan was, Stan Gable was in it again. Well, he was in part three also. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, in this one, it seems like it was another thing where he uh, just kind of came in sort of briefly, I think. I, I, don't know, I might be remembering that wrong. but that's the, that's the thing that disappointed me about Part 3 is they brought Gilbert back, but it was not Anthony Edwards. They didn't even try to make that guy look like Anthony Edwards. No, it was a big fat guy. It was a big fat guy with really long hair, if I remember correctly. I think he had like a 90s douche ponytail. And it's like Lewis is in that, and they got uh, the the chick back that married him. I'm, I'm I haven't seen the first film in a while, so the names are Julie Montgomery. Yeah, they got her back to play the wife, and they got Ted Ted McGinley to come back to play Stan, and Morton Downey Jr. as the evil villain in the whole thing. Yeah, three wasn't that bad, although it was kind of dumb. Booger was in that too, I think. I can't yeah, remember. Booger Booger's in all four of them, I think. I think he might be the only one. Yeah, because uh, Poindexter wasn't in it. Well, it's because um, he became a big director by that point. Poindexter wasn't, and I I think Booger was in the third. I don't know. I I think he I think he was. Was was did Takashi come back for any for three or four? Takashi was in three, but I don't remember if it was the same actor. But the character of Takashi was in it. Okay, it might have been a different actor though. I, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since <laughs> I've seen three. <laughs> We've. Got- I haven't seen it in four since they premiered on TV. Um, We've totally gone off Texas Ch- Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre franchise to the Nerds franchise. I know, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We still got 15 minutes. We can seg back. Well, now, uh, what what did you think of the remakes of Chainsaw? I hated the first one. And by first one, I'm going to say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Okay. Because I know the prequel would technically be the first one, but you know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I hated it. And now, the prequel, or the beginning, sorry, I didn't hate as much. 
For one, it had more Arlie Ermy, and that's never yeah. a bad thing. Uh-huh. That's never a bad thing. And it it also had Lee Turgeson as the biker. And I love yeah. I love Lee Turgeson. So that one I think I liked a little bit more because of some of the cast members. But I really thought they were dreadful movies overall. Yeah. I, I, I saw, when I saw the first one, I it was I watched it and was like, I don't care about any of this. Like I didn't when I watched the first one, uh, the only time I saw it was when I saw it in the theater. I I just didn't I, I didn't find it scary. I didn't find it suspenseful. Um, I just it, it came across as just being pretty weird, just for the sake of being weird. I just didn't I just didn't really get into the thing. And then the second one came across, but but with the first one, since I really did, it wasn't like I hated the first one or liked it. I it was just kind of there and blah and whatever. It seemed to be a pretty useless movie. And then I watched the second one, which would be the prequel. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw: The Beginning. And I had the same emotion. I I thought it was like this. These two movies are barely different from each other. They're practically the same movie. It's a prequel, but he. I mean, so it's a pre. It's a prequel, and that honestly took away a lot of the suspense from it because you knew everyone was going to die at the end. Yeah, and and like you know when when they've uh, when Lee Turgeon's got the Arlie Ermey's I'm going to use the term sheriff, even though he wasn't the real sheriff. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he's got the sheriff and he's about to kill him, you know it's not going to happen because the guy's the sheriff in the next film continuity wise. Yeah. So there, like you said, there's no tension. Unless you see him out of order, if you see him in the order they take place first, maybe. Yeah, then, then, yeah, then, then maybe. But why did that need to be a prequel? Why did there need to be a prequel to that movie? It, I, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't need to know how he became the sheriff. I didn't need to know how the guy got in the wheelchair. Well, see, I, whatever. I just did. I just didn't care. I heard. I don't know if this is official, but I read somewhere that the reason they wanted the prequel was because Arlie Ermey was the fan favorite yeah. of, the, of the first film, that they kind of wanted to give him a, a starring role. And after what happened in uh, you know, the first film, they couldn't, so they had to go back to his past. Yeah. So that's what I heard is it was basically to give Arlie Ermey another shot at that part. Well, you know, I believe that. I, 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 to- I totally believe that. I mean, he was... He was good in the first one. He was uh, he was the only saving grace from that first one. I thought. I I agree. He was he was good in it. He he was he was really good. So I see that mentality. Yeah, of like, oh man, we <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have killed him off. So I certainly see that. But it was just such a pointless movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was a pointless. And I'm going to call the second one of the second the remakes a franchise. The second franchise is totally pointless, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. But then pretty much anything Platinum Dunes touches is pointless. Yeah, there's been like one or two of theirs that I thought were all right. But other than that, other than that with Platinum Dunes, it's not like I, I can think of one that I truly, truly hated, and that was The Hitcher. See, I have um, not seen the remake of The Hitcher. I truly hated that movie. The other Platinum Dunes movies, I was just kind of like, what's the point? It's not like these are terrible. They're just completely useless. They don't really do anything. Uh, they don't really do anything with 
the franchise. They just kind of are there, and the characters are all pretty unlikable. And I mean, they're they're kind of well made, but um, they just don't get that much of an emotion out of me. The Platinum Dunes movies. But with that being said, there were a couple that I that I thought were fine. But, but think of think about something you just said. Yeah. They don't have any emotional impact with you. They're produced by Michael Bay. What yeah. do you expect? Well, the guy's I made mean, a career I, I out of still no... go into, I still go into anything with an open mind, even a Michael Bay movie. I mean, there's Michael. There's been a couple of Michael Bay movies that he's directed that I thought were fine. Oh, The Island um, kicks ass. I'll def- oh, yeah, yeah, I'll defend yeah. The Island exactly. as th- that proves Michael Bay actually knows how to make a damn movie. Uh huh. I agree. Um, yeah, totally. So I, so I, I still go into thing. I still, I, I still try to go into things with an open mind. Sometimes, you know, no, not not really. I, I know I'm gonna hate it, but you know, I I, I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, because let's let's say again off Platinum Dunes for a second. They had the same problem that I think uh, Dark Castle had. So yeah. much potential that was all wasted because, like Dark Castle. I know I'm in the minority here, but up until the ending, I loved the House on Haunted Hill remake. I agree with you. It was I, moody. It was really well acted. The story was tight. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it falls apart at the end. But the first three quarters are really, really damn good. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you 100% on that. That's my, that's my exact opinion of that movie. It's mostly really underrated. Yeah. Um, and then Ghost the- Ship... Oh, yeah. and then thirteen ghosts. Oh, uh, and then Gothica. Oh, and I can just Gothica, keep going on. Gothica, I didn't hate. I didn't hate Gothica. I remember that. I remember. I remember kind of liking that. All right. I only saw it when I saw it in the theater. I it certainly hasn't stuck with me or anything. But I, I, I don't remember disliking that. See, my, my problem with Ghost Ship and 13 Ghosts were they both could have been good movies. Ghost yeah. Ship has two incredibly effective scenes. The the scene where everyone gets cut in half by the wire. Yeah, yeah. And that flashback to what happened in, like, the 40s, where everybody was screwing everybody else over to try and get the gold. Oh, the, yeah. Those two scenes were incredibly effective, and the rest of the movie just could not keep up with it. And then the yeah. massive plot holes and nothing making sense and characters acting completely nonsensically just because the script called for it. Yeah, I and agree. 13 Ghosts, part of the problem was the editing. You have these great ghosts, and you have an edit every three seconds. Yeah. You never get a chance to actually look at any of this stuff. But Matthew Lillard, that's another Matthew McConaughey-style performance. Matthew Lillard was awesome in 13 Ghosts. Yeah, he was He was fun. And I liked the idea of the collecting ghosts and, and the, the glass panels that were their prisons with all the, the markings on it. And even, um, oh, her name just fell out of my head, but the the good psychic chick that was battling against Matthew McConaughey and them that she ended up getting squished. She was uh, yeah. in the mist. Uh, her, her name just fell right out of my head. She was really good, too. And part of the problem with that movie was comic relief. Yeah. The little kid, and I'm not trying to sound racist, but the black maid. Uh-huh. You know, man, you white peoples is weird. <laughs> that kind of stuff is so unnecessary in a horror movie. 
When are uh-huh. when are directors going to realize? Yes, you might have a mostly white cast. You don't need the sassy black character to spice things uh-huh. up. It just gets in the way because yeah. black people are not going to identify with the sassy black character. That's not the way that's going to work. I remember finding that particularly annoying about that movie. <laughs> but like, if that movie were edited differently, I think it would be a very different film. If it were edited like sure. a, like a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I think that movie oh, could yeah. that movie could have worked if it were edited like a Paul Th- like Boogie Nights was. That movie really yeah. could have worked. And I haven't seen House on Haunted Hill too. Is that any good? Neither the, have I. It was the like return, return to yeah. House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, I have not seen I, that. Neither have I. Is it from? Is it the same people? Did they make it? Um, I think Ali Larder's character is in it, but it's not Ali Larder. But it's okay. it's supposed to follow the events of the. It's like her sister trying to go I to see. the house to find out what happened or something. I see. But it, it had a much smaller budget, too. You know, I do like the first one. I might I might actually check that out sometime. The DVD is... It's got some interesting extras, too. Like, the alternate right. the alternate opening is pretty cool. Well, have you heard about this? Uh, they're talking about doing Chainsaw again in uh, 3D. Are you... Like, like an, another new reboot? Yep. Oh, my God. Slated for 2012 is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. Uh, well, I, I know and they're making... The only name signed onto it so far is Bill Mosley. Oh, Bill, did you need the money that bad? <laughs> Damn it, let me Bill. See who's, let me see who's writing this. Cause it's I... from the writer... It's from the writer of Jason Goes to Hell. That's not encouraging! <laughs> I, I like Jason Goes to Hell, but this guy has only written, like, one other movie... I will put Jason Goes to Hell into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 category. That is uh-huh. one of those movies that I appreciate for what it was supposed to have been. Yeah. Rather than all the stuff that got cut out and all the subplots that go nowhere because they only appear in deleted scenes and early work prints. Uh-huh. So I appreciate that movie for what it was rather than, or what it could, I should say what it could be rather than what it was. I still like it. I still think it's fun. I I, I enjoy the movie. Stephen Williams um, steals all all the scenes. Oh there. yeah, Creighton Duke. He's awesome. <laughs> this 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 isn't gonna be uh, this. The <laughs> Chainsaw 3D is probably not gonna be any good. It's it's from the director of uh, Takers with Hayden Christensen. Well, didn't uh, aren't they making like something called Shark Night 3D that's coming out soon? It, I pointed in the title for that movie. Because the director of that movie, he wanted the title to, and he pushed for it. He wanted the title for that movie to be "Untitled Shark Thriller in 3D." That's actually kind of I like. I actually kind of like that title, though. I do too. I really like that title, but they wouldn't let him do it. Well, like I read something again. This is just hearsay, but that that uh, when J.J. Abrams was pushing for Cloverfield that he wanted that movie to go untitled. He didn't want a title for that movie at all. And the studio yeah. said, how are people going to ask for the movie if they, it's not called anything? Are we just going to uh-huh. call it Untitled Movie? Because well, how, many, how many other movies are called Untitled Movie? Well, I mean, I'd like to see the alternate title of Avatar as CGI the movie. Right? <laughs> I, I, I want to make a movie called Video Game the Movie. Uh huh. You know, I want to make that film. You have to be careful with call it. You have to be careful nowadays with attaching the word "movie" to your movie because of because attach. Oh, the epic movie, scary movie to your flick. 
becomes kind of synonymous with Friedberg and Seltzer. Oh. Well, hey, have you, either of you guys seen Stan Helsing? No. Stan Helsing? Yeah. It's actually funnier than it probably should have been. It's one of those epic movie type ones for horror, and it's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Right on. Some of the jokes work. Most don't. Most of them are epic movie quality, but there yeah. were at least four or five times I found myself legitimately laughing, and then I kind of caught myself and went, I found that funny. God damn it, what is wrong with me? Yeah, it's like, that's, that's not supposed to have been funny. So some of the jokes work. So I'd recommend just for the hell of it, Stan Helsing. Oh, and w- w- the chick that plays Mia, she is just amazingly smoking hot. Brad, what was that movie that you said uh, you were thinking this is going to be complete crap, and then you were like, hey, this was actually pretty funny? Uh, oh, Your Highness, I think. Ah. Was Your it? Highness? Yeah, because I went into that thinking, like, oh, good God, is there really oh, nothing right, else this week? Right, weekend? yeah, yeah, and I got really jealous because I was telling like, I was like, this is going to be hilarious, and you're like, no, no, it isn't. It's going to be really bad, and and I didn't, I haven't even seen it yet. On that note, we're well, out. I, of t- I, all I was going to say is I still maintain the trailers for that movie sucked. Oh, you'll get fun. you'll get no argument. Those trailers actually turned me away from the film, and I probably won't watch it because of those trailers. Oh yeah, the, the trailers suck, but the movie is a uh, is got some good raunchy humor in it. We are out of time. Cinemasnob.com, Foil Rap Productions, and 1201beyond.blogspot.com. Check us out.
Thank <laughs> you.